John Carnegie is the first New Zealander to sit on the World Energy Council board after his appointment last month. The council has close to 100 member countries and they include the largest energy producing and energy consuming nations. There's 3,000 member organisations. They include the likes of the State Grid Company in China, the California Independent System Operator, the state's equivalent to Transpower, and recently Boeing signed up. Some governments are in there, but New Zealand's is not. Business New Zealand's Energy Council Council is the member in this country and they represent major electricity companies from generators like Meridian Energy to lines companies like Auckland's Vector. John Carnegie is a former head of the New Zealand Energy Council and is now chairing the World Energy Council's Finance Committee. In his day job, he's the chief executive of Energy Resources Aotearoa, previously known as the Petroleum Exploration and Production Association, or PEPANS, the oil and gas sector lobbyists. John has more than 30 years' experience in public policy and energy markets. He told me earlier about the difficult decisions as we go into the energy transition? Well, look, the, the World Energy Council is active in the, in the conversation about transitioning. Um, in fact, it's at the very heart of what they're doing. One of their, their themes for their Congress that they're about to have in Rotterdam, which I'm speaking at, is about humanising energy. That is about, well, we've argued almost to death about the, the why and even the what, and now it's time really, in fact, particularly post-COP28, focus on the how. Just how do we do it? How do we unlock the finance? How do we scale up new technologies? How do we bring communities and businesses along with us? And that's that's a really exciting conversation to be a part of. It is, but what do you say, and we need to confront this at the yeah. outset, given where our conversation is going to go, what do you say to those, the top climate scientists among them, that a rapid transition away from fossil fuels is essential and urgent to avoid catastrophic climate change. I think the countdown's now to something like eight to ten years for a massive reduction. What is, again, given their vested interests, what are the position, what's the position of the council's members on that? Is to be able to scale up um, and deliver the transition as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Now, that might sound like weasel words, but I guess the key thing with energy, and it's, again, what we're grappling with here in New Zealand, is that absolutely we need to achieve our climate objectives, but we also need to keep the lights on. We also need to have energy that people can afford. Um, Without those two elements, actually, there is no transition. Globally speaking, what do you see as being that rapid scaling up? Are we talking wind farms? Are we talking far more nuclear, which brings with it its own issues in terms of maintaining plant and the age of plants, etc.? Globally, what is the conversation the council's members are having about what a transition, a rapid transition, would be composed of? Well, of course, it's going to differ by region to region. The challenges that are going to be faced in Asia are going to be different to those faced in Latin America. They're going to be different to those faced in North America and, of course, here. Um, so part of the role of the WEC is actually to help. And I guess the key key word in all of this conversation, Catherine, is independence. They are but this, in, is, a, this they're is a codependent they're, problem, they're, though. Well, I mean, exactly, it is. Um, But the beauty of the World Energy Council is that everyone is involved in the conversation. All of the voices are being heard. We understand, the council understands the urgency of the transition. We also understand the need to keep the lights on, to keep energy affordable, 
and to decarbonise. And to be honest, if it was easy, we'd have we'd have done mm-hmm. it a long time ago. These, do you these, do you have a date on it? As we said, the scientists are sort of giving. I, th- I think we're down. It was twelve years. I think we're down to about nine or ten. Let's say by mid-century, an absolutely you know critical and substantial reduction in fossil fuel use. And is that kind of time frame accepted by your members or is it a much longer time frame they have in mind? Well, fundamentally, they're going to be guided by the Paris Agreement, mm. which talks about by mid-century um, and into the second half of the century. But what, they, what the core of the World Energy Council is, as I said, about scaling up new technology and ensuring that it's available to mm. actually let that flourish. What, what are those? Let's talk, let's talk about the local and then talk about the challenge more globally. One of the issues we have with our energy supply here, and I want to come to gas in a moment, one of the issues we have is that an already high proportion of um, our electricity, for example, is renewable, uh, hydro primarily, and now as more is brought on in the form of um, wind and um, solar, You've got intermittency, right? Yeah. I, I'm presuming big, big that China, time. which the, I, I remember the famous quote, it was opening eight coal pie, um, coal-fired power stations, eight new ones a week, yeah. at the same time as being at the forefront of some of the yeah. of the newer technologies, yeah. right? You know, what prospect of, of China, um, the United States for that matter, India and other, these huge uh, energy users who will determine our climate future to a greater or lesser extent, what are they going to turn to? to decarbonise? Well, I mean, two, two points here. I mean, one of, one of the fundamental precepts of the climate negotiations is common but differentiated responsibilities. So we all have a common goal, but we have differentiated responsibilities given our our economic and social progress. So it's kind of a fundamental... It's a catch-up for the developing a, nations that fun, didn't a cause fundamental, the problem. A fundamental yeah. tenant of the negotiations, yeah. but one of the... One of the great things that we're seeing in China and in other parts of Asia and in other parts of the world are they're actually technological leapfrogging. Mm. So they're actually shifting quicker, actually, than the West because they're in a posi- their growth is so massive, their um, social um, shift from rural to urban is massive, and they're in a position to actually um, scale up and take on new technologies. So at the margin, it's always going to be hard for them um, to decarbonise, but they are making great efforts. Let's talk about the local and our situation here now, particularly with the change of government. You said recently um, the, the lift in the oil and gas exploration ban that government ministers, quote, need to get out and tell the world to come and have a look here, unquote. Um, looking at New Zealand's part of this puzzle and its energy needs, what are you saying? Come back and look for oil and gas, come back and look for gas. Um, fundamentally, we're traditionally known as gas-prone, um, you know, hence the major gas fields, Pohakura, um, Kupe, Maui. Um, so we're a gas-prone um, um, country, and odds on it will be gas, and gas is an ideal fuel to help us on the transition. How, how so? We're at the point where you've got the Climate Commission saying they would you know, propose one one pathway through to the sort of blueprint they've given us would be no new um, gas connections, for example, uh, in new houses. There's, there's a perception uh, that gas itself is for the phase down, if not the phase out. What is the role of gas? What's the argument you would make in the role of gas in our overall 
security of supply while we're also trying to decarbonise? Well, our argument is that it helps right across the board. It helps with our achieving our environmental objectives, our climate goals. It helps with affordability um, by keeping electricity af- affordable and it will help with reliability. So it will ensure that we have a secure supply of, of energy. Make the case of where it sits in a system from those points of view because electrification obviously is the means by which we see transport decarbonising and increasingly people would argue uh, at home you shouldn't be on gas you should be on electric where does gas where do you make the case for gas having a vital role from the, from the climate goals yep. and from the reliability perspective. Yep. Well, and look, don't forget the affordability angle too. You know, the, the, the reason we've had constrained gas supply over the last five or so years, energy prices have gone up and electri- the cost of electricity has gone up because gas is more expensive than the electricity system. So it's, gas is a vital fuel in our electricity system. Actually, from, from an environmental case... It's actually quite straightforward. Make make, make the case. I can hear people yelling at the radio now. So explain where in the system, this is security of supply, right, where gas has a role that you say means we should be out looking for more. We'll talk more about how much is left in a moment. It's not not just us saying this, Catherine. The the International Energy Agency in its most recent in-country report said that we needed, because as you get higher and higher a proportion of weather-dependent renewables, to your point, the system becomes more volatile and intermittent. You actually need something to back that up. And what is the role that gas currently plays and you would argue should expand? Well, we have um, gas-fired power stations um, that actually are fast starts and are known as peaking stations. They can come on when the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine, so we drop off solar and, and wind and there it is, and it's instantaneous virtually, give or take, um, but that's the role that it can play. It can fill the gaps. Batteries can play a great role, but actually when we have a dry year, which we were looking to have, um, there are significant concerns about energy security running into winter, when we have a dry year it's a three-month problem. It's not a three-hour problem. Batteries can solve the three-hour problem. They cannot solve the three-month I'm, I'm, su- I'm surprised you haven't brought up coal and the dependence oh, on, no. on Huntley, the coal-fired. I was about to. And the other <laughs> issue that we know from Transpower and from others is that that can take time to fire up. Yep. There is an inbuilt disincentive to fire it up if it's not going to be needed. But hang on a minute. I mean, does supply, as a supply of gas to act as a backup or as a security of supply factor in our electricity system. Does that equate to keeping gas supplies um, in, uh, you know, you know, for heating or, 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 for, um, or for cooking in homes? Oh, look, it, it can, but it actually doesn't have to. And actually part of the reason why we strongly oppose the Climate Change Commission's proposal to prevent new gas connections is that actually you've already got a vector. You've got a pipeline through which you can actually... And we're we're seeing it. A biogas plant, uh, Reparoa, just north of Taupo, um, they're developing a compost-based, food waste-based methane. You can put that into the system 
and actually you can you can use so that. you can use so, the existing infrastructure. Is that what you're saying? Yep. How much gas do we have left? Maui, I think, was mm. down to just a few years. Uh, it's the biggest field, is it, Maui? Maui, Kupe, Pohakura. How much is left? Well, they're all mid to end of life. Well, how many fields. years left? Can you oh, translate look, it into uh, well, years? Well, uh, tomato, tomato. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, there are, the numbers bounce around. The one that MB uses is that if you, I mean, we've got production profiles that last us out to 2050, right? But the profiles kind of dramatically fall. But if you front-loaded all of that and used a, a number, a proxy for demand, the latest MB stats said around about eight years, which is alarming because it's the first time it's dropped under 10. Actually, the real story in that is the fall-off in production and the fact that we're about to hit an energy gap. So gas demand, there's going to be a difference between gas, potentially gas demand and gas supply and there's nothing to fill it. And there will be some out there celebrating that because they say the price signal will see more and more people abandon gas in their home for electricity. That they can't afford. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What mm-hmm. a what a great outcome. I'm I'm sorry. That's not a that's not a good outcome for consumers. Um, you know, if if we can have abundant gas. In fact, why can't we? This is part of the 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 thing about you know bringing knowledge about new technology from overseas in the World Energy Council, carbon capture and storage. You know, there's no reason why we cannot have low carbon fuel gas going into our system. So, and likewise, bio, renewable gases, uh, green LPG, all of those things. So the big problem now is that we have a gap. We don't have a gap in 10 years' time, Catherine. We've got a gap that's looming. What are we going to do next year or the year after? Where are these magical solutions that are going to be affordable and fill the gap. I mean, for goodness sake, we've been using coal since the Industrial Revolution and we're still using it. If there's a gap from next year, does that mean the price rises begin next year or maybe within a year or two after? Well, it depends on how the how the new government reacts. There's no expiration. What expiration is happening at the moment, if any? Well, there's um, the ban. Well, there is some expiration because going on. Because they already on. had licence, they were well, already underway. Yes, so it's within their existing permits. And when, the, when do those permits run out? Oh, well, some of them, ha- I mean, dependent on field production lives. lives. So, um, you know, we've got um, Todd Energy has a permit that it hasn't ex- explored yet um, that I understand it's sought an extension of time frame. So that might go for another 20, 30 years, potentially. But the, the main ones are all dependent on production profiles and they're all declining. What's so, production profile specifically? Oh, the, the, how much gas they're going to be able to oh, I see what e- you mean. extract. So the next so. thing is, if the oil and ba- gas ban, well it is, goes, what prospect of anyone else coming in to explore? Well, we might find that we start with encouraging the incumbents. So Being the, Todd. The, Todd, OMV, Beach. I thought OMV Mad- had been trying to sell their New Zealand business. They have, but they're still here and they're still operating. Do you think Thank- there's a change thankfully. of... Per- Change of view with the change of government. Do you think there's a prospect of them staying? You'd need to. You'd need to talk to OMV. Um, You're the head of the World Energy and, Council. Well, <laughs> I believe well, they have an well, indicator. I'm, 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 I'm one of, I'm one of their <laughs> one board of the members. One of the board members. So, yeah, 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 um, yeah. But you know, all of that stuff's deeply commercial. Um, so you know, who, who, who knows? But we're going to start with the incumbents because if if you believe 
that we do have an energy gap opening up in the next year or two, well, it's going to be the incumbents that are going to need to produce more gas. And then we have the longer-term game about attracting offshore yeah. investors. If back. you believe there's going to be a gap within the next year or two, what are the, what are the numbers? What's the modelling that suggests that? Well, actually, I mean, what we've done is we've compared the Climate Change Commission demonstration pathway, which still has gas in the system, I think 25 PJs. Still has petrol vehicles too for quite a while. Exactly, out Mm. to 2050. Uh Um, Admittedly, we're currently producing somewhere between 140 PJs a year, so uh, they still think there's going to be some, but we've compared that with the production profiles from, um, from... uh, MB, and potentially over that time frame from now to 2050, potentially a 900 PJ gap. Yeah, there's a hell of a gap between now and, and 2050. Yeah. So with demand as it is currently, uh, and if price goes up, demand will fall. Um, if with, with, with demand as it is currently, are you saying in the next one, two, three years there'll be a sufficient gap between supply and demand that prices will significantly rise? Well, no, because if I knew that, I'd be sitting on a beach in the Bahamas, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what I'm saying is that there may well be an untidy transition whereby people need to make adjustments to their demand. Um, there may well be a supply side response as well, which means that there is no gap. <laughs> 